marriage workshop. They're going to teach us a few new tricks then. And he might probably will take, teach us something today too. Uh, I first met Keith and Stephanie in the spring. We were looking to do some marriage improvements in my own life and in the church. And we connected with Keith and Stephanie. He has been pastoring for many years, but had a passion for marriage and family life. So he got connected with Family Life Canada. And uh, now he's full time with them. But he still likes to preach, so that's why we invited him out. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, still likes to preach is a whole different title. I actually like meeting people. So, so my blessing is actually getting to meet you guys in the foyer and stuff like that. I'm a people person. Um, this morning I actually walked into here and I came into the back during Sunday school class. And they had on the screen uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism. And I was sitting there and I was like, hey, you know, very seldom do you see churches that actually get into the meat of these kind of things and talk about it. And I thought it's going to fit really well with the message today because my message today is called Connecting. And if you look at extremes on Calvinism and Arminianism, you'd see that Calvinism on its extreme side would say that we don't have to do anything because God will take care of everything. We don't have to share the gospel because God is going to take care of that. So if someone's going to come to know Jesus, it doesn't matter because God already knows that and he's already planned it. So whether you do something or not, you will come to Jesus, whether somebody does something or not. But on the other side, on Arminianism, they would say, no, no, God needs us to do things, right? God needs us to share the word. God needs us. And those are the extremes. And so I, tell, I, I thought it was great when I walked in because I thought, if you look at all of scripture, you can find, you can actually dig things out for one or the other. But the point is, is we read the Bible all together as one book. Therefore, we're supposed to be somewhere in the middle, Right? So it's, I, just, I love the fact that we just see the word and saying, no, we're told this because God is saying there's a balance in here. And just like we need to have a balance in our lives, we need to have a balance in how we share the word. And so uh, I thought it was interesting because this morning I'm going to be talking about connecting and connecting in your community and in your lives. So I'd like to actually read, first of all, from Acts 8, 26 to 40. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And, he's, <clears throat> and the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you were reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens, opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? 
Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And there, sorry, <clears throat> and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Before I start, I'd like to start with a short little video. So we'll watch this little video first, and then we'll get into the message. There are hundreds of ways to connect in this world. You can call someone or share a photo. You can travel to exotic locations and stay connected on your wall. You can even squeeze your connections into 144 characters. But what's the best way to connect? Connections happen best when we're in community. When we're in church, engaged in people's lives. Connections happen in small groups. When we invite people into our homes or have a cup of coffee together. Connections happen with a smile, or a handshake, or even a simple good morning. Connections happen when we take the time to let others know they matter. Look, it all comes down to relationships. You and someone else face to face. Take the time. Make the time. Get connected. So this morning, I'd like to talk, take a look at two Phillips in Scripture. The first time a Philip is mentioned in the Bible is in John chapter 1. Jesus has just been baptized in the river Jordan, and John the Baptist proclaims him to be the Lamb of God. Jesus then leaves to begin his ministry in Galilee. Finding Philip along the way, he says to him, follow me. Philip then goes and finds Nathanael, telling him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. He takes Nathanael to meet Jesus. And Nathaniel comes to believe in him as well. From the very beginning of Jesus' evangelistic ministry, we see that faith means a connecting lifestyle. <clears throat> and faith in Jesus means a connecting lifestyle. We, can, we connect to Jesus, and then we connect others to Jesus, right? When you become a follower of Jesus... You cannot help but find and connect others to Jesus so that they may experience what you have in Jesus. Let me share a personal story. This story is a, is a true story about two people. It is of a young girl, no older than 16. Her name is Julianne. Julianne loved Jesus and continually desired to put Jesus first in her life. She continually read her Bible and would share about Jesus at school with her friends and with anybody who would ask her about her faith. 
Well, you can probably guess, but some people at school took this as an opportunity to tease her and bully her. They would knock her Bible out of her hand, call her names, and more. Then there was this guy, his name was Colin, and he had gone through a rough life. He was abused by his stepdad. He was abused by his dad. He left home at 15, joined the military at 16, and had been hurt enough that he was looking to hurt someone else. Let's say he had some anger issues. Well, one day this guy was walking down the hall of his school, and he saw this girl being picked on. Julianne was being picked on, so he thought to himself, I'm going to stop this. He walked over to these guys that were bullying her, grabbed one of them and slammed him up against the locker. The guys backed, well, at the same time he was saying, this is my little sister you're picking on. The guys backed down as they were about to leave. Julianne proudly proclaimed, you're not my brother. You see what Colin was trying to do? He was trying to be her savior. But Julie already had a savior and began to share Jesus with Colin. That day she changed his life. And over the next year, Colin's life began to look very different. By the end of the year, Colin would accept the gift of Jesus Christ. He quit the military and went to Bible college. A year later, Colin was looking for some of his friends to share Jesus with as well. Colin started going by his first name again, Keith. Keith is serving ministry today. Actually, Keith is standing before you right now. I love this story. People connecting to Jesus and then connecting others to Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking that the Philip is meant that I mentioned here in the scripture passage today is not the same Philip mentioned in John 1. And you are right. That is the Apostle Philip. The Philip in our passage was a layman, one of the seven deacons of the early church. But he carries on the same tradition of connecting others to Jesus. He is only mentioned three times in the Bible. First was when he was nominated by the church to be a deacon to help oversee and distribute food to the widows in the congregation. It's in Acts 6. It tells us that he and the other six men who helped in this ministry were known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, Acts 6.3. These men were known in their community. They demonstrated Christ-like character. So they were asked to serve. Not long after Philip was given this responsibility, King Herod began to persecute the church in Jerusalem executing the Apostle James and imprisoning Peter. Many Christians, including Philip, fled for their lives to other cities and regions. Philip went north about 35 miles to the region of Samaria and promptly began to share his faith with the people in the city. We're not told how big the city was, but as soon as he arrived he began preaching about Jesus and was wildly successful as he converted nearly the entire city to Jesus Christ. 
Just as things were taking off for Philip's new ministry, an angel came to him to tell him to leave and go south to continue his practice of connecting others to Jesus. Like the Apostle Philip and the Elder Philip, we are called to connect others to Jesus as well. But what does that look like, and how can we accomplish that? In our scripture passage today, we find five keys to being a connecting disciple. The first is to be available to God. When Philip got to Samaria, he made himself available to God to do his work. A few months ago, we had the privilege of doing a marriage workshop at a Baptist church in High River. It was great to hear the stories from different people who made themselves available to their community after the flood of 2013, and to see how their church has grown since, a thriving church focused on God and sharing his word in the community. How about you? We have come to the end of COVID and the COVID restrictions and isolation. Have you made yourself available to God? Have you made yourself available and asked this question? God, what would you have me do here in this place, in this new place? This is a question Stephanie and I have been asking ourselves through COVID, which has led us personally to a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching and mentoring with couples across Alberta. It has brought us at Family Life Canada to more online ministry reaching over 50 countries and a strong East Asian ministry. We're doing online marriage mentor training and Stephanie and I are, are, presenting, are presently mentoring 10 couples. We have developed a new marriage workshop to help churches build their own ministries in marriage. Sorry, I need a drink. <laughs> Snack time? Everybody can go over. No. <laughs> we leave all the cool pictures on the screen so you can see things. We also do it together for good conferences. We, before, before the summer, we did eight marriage conferences back to back at churches so for two months straight. So God's opened up these opportunities, these doors. We have the opportunity this Saturday to do a marriage conference here. Now, some people think, oh, it's a marriage conference. We only go to that if there's something wrong in our marriage. You know what? That can be true. You go to a marriage conference, there's something wrong in your marriage. But you know what? You also go to a marriage conference because you want to strengthen your marriage. Okay? It's not because something has to be wrong. We went to a marriage conference actually back in 1996. And you'll hear about this if you're coming on Saturday. But in 1996, we were struggling in our marriage. We had some issues. Part of our issues is that we were very busy. And uh, we were doing multiple things. Just to give you a highlight, um, I worked nights back then, 10 days on, 4 days off. In my 4 days off, I did military part-time. So I actually served Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in the military on those 10 days off. So really, we only got together, uh, only slept together pretty much two nights of the uh, every two weeks. And so 
So yeah, so we were, we were busy that way. I was a part-time student. Actually, I was a full-time student at first. Stephanie was a part-time student. Uh, I was a deacon in the church, deacon of worship, and we also served on a music ministry team, and we led the youth group, and we did the children's, uh, the children's programming for the Sunday morning. Uh, all good things, just too many things, and it was drawing us apart. And so we went to a marriage co conference, and it actually got us talking about these things and actually got us redirected and focused back together. We weren't in a good place. But we also started going to marriage conferences about eight years ago, again, every year. And we were in a good place, and yet it helped us strengthen our marriage every year. There's one question I always ask when I was in ministry, and it was, well, two questions. I'd ask myself, what is one thing that we've done well this last year? And you celebrate that. And we ask this question in our marriage as well. So we would actually go away for a weekend or whatever it was. We'd go ask this question, and we'd go out for supper, and we'd celebrate the one thing that we did well this year. And then we'd ask ourselves a second question. What's one thing we could do better this next year? Just one thing. So after 30 years of marriage, our hope is that we've done 30 things better, right? And we get better every year. And that's part of what a marriage, a marriage conference is for, is to come back together and talk about things that, what's one thing that we can do better? So, so another, thing, another thing that we're working on out of this is that we have just partnered, partnered with Refresh Ministries. Anybody here of Refresh Ministries? Hey, somebody over here. Lyndon Wall is the director of Refresh Ministries. It's a ministry to pastors and missionaries. And so what we're building with them right now is actually a new marriage mentoring ministry for pastors. And we're actually finding pastors to mentor other pastors and to work with other pastoral couples. So it's just a, just a blessing that we have to serve. You see, this is exactly what Philip did. He made himself available to God and thus began to preach the gospel of Jesus. A lot of people believe in God and even worship God, but fewer still make themselves available to God. One of the problems is our busyness. People today are too busy. We're so over-programmed and over-committed that we can't fit anything else in our lives. We're so busy that we barely have time for God. We run from one commitment to another and have our minds, energy, and focused on our family, a good thing, on our jobs, our kids, or sometimes even the work of the church, that we aren't available to God. You cannot connect others to Jesus unless you first make yourself available to God. Now remember, Philip has started a very successful new ministry in Samaria. Even then, his sole desire was to do God's bidding. Suddenly, an angel tells him to go to a lonely desert place some 60 miles away. Not like he could jump in his car and go, right? The thing about being available to God means you have to be willing to be interrupted. Okay, let me say that again. The thing about being available to God means you have to be willing to be interrupted. It may involve a sacrifice or stopping something altogether. God may be calling you to give something up, even a good thing, so you may go and be part of the next great thing. To tell you the truth, I love being a pastor and serving the family. At West Zion was the last ministry I was in. I was the family pastor there. But God had something else. 
I love serving as a pastor in Valley View. Anybody know where Valley View is? Northern Alberta, three and a half hours northwest of Edmonton. If you ever go to Grand Prairie, you have to drive by Valley View. It's kind of a why there. I love being a pastor there. We had a strong youth ministry in our community. Our last youth night there that we ran had over 90 youth participating in it. 50% of those youth were non-churched. It was a strong, vibrant ministry. But God had other plans for us, and we had to be available. I love serving on our Northwest Mennonite Conference Board. Anybody know about Northwest Mennonite Conference? Heard of them? I don't know. Maybe not. Okay. Um, so Westside, Westside Mennonite Church. This is our last place I pastored there for five years as the associate there. And uh, I got the chance to serve on their, bur- their board. I got the chance to serve there for three years. And I love serving there. I love the pastors I worked with. But God had something else for us. I had to give it up because God was saying, Keith, this is the ministry I have for you with family life. To do this ministry, you're a missionary, and therefore you need to take the time to focus on raising your support. So I had to give that up. It wasn't easy, but we promised to be available. Our value as witnesses does not depend on our ability Our value depends on our availability. I'll repeat that. Our value as witnesses does not depend on our ability. Our value depends on our availability. So second, be sensitive to the Spirit. Being a connecting disciple means you have to be sensitive to the movement of the Spirit. Some people try to connect everyone to Jesus. I don't know if you've met some of those people. No matter where they are or where the person is in their life or spiritual journey. We had a gentleman up northern Alberta there. He had a truck and he'd put posters on the sides of his truck and drive around the community all the time. And people would make fun of them because he never built a relationship with anybody. When you saw him in in person, he was never really friendly. He was never really welcoming. But he proclaimed messages on the side of his truck. That's not how we share Jesus. We can share bits of word that way, but we should have our life matching that, right? This can produce more negative results sometimes than good harvest as they turn people off because they weren't ready. So how do you know when someone is ready? Let God guide you to whom he wants you to connect and when God wants you to connect, make that connection. Let me share another quick little story with you. Um, I, I, a few years ago, I started working out at a gym in our local community. And there was these three guys that were always working out, so they asked me if I'd work out with them. So I started working out with them. And it was about eight or nine months in, we are working out together. Finally, someone comes out to me and says, Keith, what do you do for a living? And I shared with him, I said, I'm a pastor. And so he's like, a pastor? He said, I wouldn't even guess you were a Christian. And I'm like, why? So I started asking, he says, well, you're not here beating me with the Bible. He says, you're not here... You know, here's just telling me, you know, just telling me all these things about the scriptures. He said, you've been here caring for us. And then he, and then he says, you know, if I think about it, I, I noticed your language is different. The way you act is different. And he started going through these things. And he says, will you tell me more about why you're different? And then he, I think he was thinking why I'm different than other Christians or other pastors. Maybe he had this image in his head. But I had the opportunity then to share the gospel with them. It opened the door. Because I cared about these guys. We got together, I cared about them. But I also looked different. Okay? You can't look the same. 
if you look the same, then there's going to be an issue. Because why would you want to come to know Jesus if you don't look like Jesus? Right? So we need to be sensitive to when the Spirit moves or speaks. How do you do that? Henry Blackaby actually said that God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through the Bible. For Philip, when he saw the Ethiopian eunuch reading from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the Holy Spirit urged Philip to go and explain what he knew and understood about that text. We can also be guided by the Spirit as we read God's Word and He speaks to us. If we wish to hear God speak to us through the Holy Spirit, then we need to be plugged into the power source. And the power source is, you can say it, God's Word, right? Yeah. God gives us His love letter. But we also need to be continually connecting to God. That's hard to do when we have so many people and circumstances pulling us in every direction. What so often happens is that the more time we spend away from God, the less in contact, less contact we have with Him. It's even more difficult when you're multitasking. And let me give you a hint. You can't multitask God. You can't do it. So how do we stay connected to God? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist, realized that for him, if he went longer than three hours without praying to God and reading God's word, then he began to think and act like the world rather than think and act like Jesus. So every three hours, he stopped what he was doing to be with God. This helped him stay connected to God throughout the day and in between those appointments with God every three hours. Another way to stay connected to God throughout our day is to be continually in prayer. Now, that doesn't mean you're driving down the road and you close your eyes and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm driving. You know, you can pray with your, your eyes with your eyes open. Do you guys know, some kids, do you know why people start praying with their hands like this or their hands under there? It's to stop children from fidgeting during prayer time. It's not something you have to do. You don't have to do this. But if you find that your hands are distracting you, then do this, right? It's to stop us from fidgeting. Uh, it's not something you have to do, okay? Unless your parents tell you to, and then you have to do it until you're at least 18. So. God, we should be asking questions like, God, what would you have me do here? What would you have me do while I'm shopping? Or here at work? Or God, while I'm shopping, open up an opportunity for me to share Jesus. Right? These are things we could be asking God. God, while I'm at school, how do I be like Jesus? Right? Talk to God. Ask Him these things. And then, this is a really important thing, listen for the prompting of the Spirit. Sometimes we like to have this one-way communication with God. We just like to say a lot of stuff, and we don't listen. Those promptings may be an audible voice. You might hear God speak to you. They may be an idea which comes into your head from seemingly nowhere. Or it may be just a feeling or a hunch. God can also speak to us through circumstances 
and other people to reveal his purposes for our lives. Surround yourself with godly people to speak into your life. When I first came to Carstairs, I looked for some godly men in the church. It's the first thing I did. I'm coming in there as an associate pastor. I spent the first six months watching people in the church. I picked three men out of the church and said, I really like to be more like them. And so I went and asked them. I said, would you actually be a mentor in my life? Two of those men said yes. One of them said, I'm too busy. Now, to tell you the truth, all three of these men were retired. Two of them were farmers. One was not, is a retired pastor. Do you know that the two farmers said yes? The retired pastor said he was too busy. I was like, oh. Now, I had an unofficial mentoring relationship with him later on. But I look for men in the church. We need to surround ourselves with godly men. So look at people and say, are these people more like Christ than I am? If they are, you know, a way that you can be more like Christ is to be more like them. Because Paul even said, look to me, be like me as I am like Christ. Right? We're supposed to reflect God in, our, in who we are. So why not surround ourselves with those people? So let me just share a couple of people in my life. Right? So when I first came to Carstairs, uh, Dave Bushert, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Dave Bushert, Robert Sayer, Oh, by the way, I'm supposed to say hi to Pat, who is uh, Donna's her sister. Is Pat here? Donna Reed is her sister. No, do you guys know who she is, though? Okay. She's not here. Oh, that's too bad. So Donna said, put her on the spot and say hi to Pat. So, okay. What's that? She may be watching online. Oh, okay. Okay. God still speaks to us today. Sometimes people think he doesn't. I'm going to share two more experiences from my life. I've told everybody in my testimony, I said, God has spoken to me verbally twice in my life. So I will never doubt that God exists. And he spoke to me verbally. Now, not everybody has that. Um, I had a Damascus, Damascus Road experience because I came to know the Lord at 19. And like I said, I came out of abusive backgrounds, these kind of things. I had a lot of walls up in my life. And when people were guiding me, and this Juliana shared Jesus with me, I actually was scared of Jesus because I was scared he was going to change my life. I liked the military. I liked what I was doing. Uh, and tell you the truth, if sin wasn't attractive, we wouldn't do it, right? So, and I, I liked where I was at. But when God started touching my life, I started not liking things. And I'm like, I don't want to not like this. And so I actually tried to wait, run away. I was military in Calgary. I requested a transfer to Vancouver. Thought, I got to get away from all these Christian people. There's just too much influence here. So I went to Vancouver, stayed with a police officer friend of mine out there. One day I walk out of my room. He's sitting there reading his Bible, cleaning his gun. And I start talking to him. He was a Christian. And my understanding, I, I came to know the Lord in a Mennonite church, a Mennonite brethren church uh, from the girl over there. My understanding in the church was I couldn't be a Christian unless I quit the military. That's one of the things I was told. And so I thought, okay, I, want, I didn't want to leave the military. So I thought, okay, I got to get away from these guys. Well, when this friend was sharing the gospel with me, he said, Keith, he says, I don't know who ever told you that, but it's not what you do, but it's what God has already done. And I was like, oh, all of a sudden it started to click. That night I was sitting down reading the scriptures. He went off to work. I sit down reading the Bible. I'm I thought, he, he said, read through John. I got to John 3, 3. Didn't even make it to 3, 16. 
I got to John 3, 3, and it says, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless you are born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. And that hit me. And I was like, well, I want to see the kingdom of God. Therefore, I need to be born again. And I just started weeping and crying. I was on the floor, and I heard God speak. And all he said to me was, Keith, you are my child, and I'll never let you go. Well, coming from a background of abuse from my father, to hear a father say that you're my child and I'll never let you go was a huge thing for me. That night I packed up everything I had, threw it in my car, drove back to Calgary. It was a Saturday. I remember that because I showed up to church Sunday morning. And I went to the pastor and said, I want to know Jesus the best I can, the quickest I can. What should I do? And he said, well, I went to Briarcrest Bible College. So I applied to Briarcrest Bible College on that Monday. Two weeks later, I was at Briarcrest Bible College. I quit the military and left. Went to Bible college. I spent the next 15 years at Briarcrest. I had a lot of things to learn. So, but yeah, and so it's what God has done for you. So God speaks to us today. We just have to be attentive and listening. We have to be open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit so you can do what he wants you to do in his time and in that place. So now I'm going to share with you the second time God spoke to me. So I accepted Jesus Christ in 1989. In 2000, I took a long time graduating Bible college. So in 2000, I graduated Bible college. Friends of mine said, Keith, you should go into the pastorate. And I thought about it, and I was like, I can't. There's something wrong with me, is what my thought was. And so I started going to God again in prayer and fasting. And I said to God, I said, what's wrong with me? And I was praying and praying. And God spoke to me again. And he said, Keith, you need to learn to love like my son loves. Second, that's all he had to say. And it was like an aha moment. And I was like, you know what? I put on a show of caring for people, but do I really love them? Do I really have empathy for them? And God challenged me on that. So then the way I fixed that is I went to God every day since then till today I still pray, God, teach me to love as your son loves. And you know what? Stephanie would attest to it as well. Our marriage changed in 2001 because I started learning what it meant to love. I started taking walls down and allowing people to love me. And so it took, it took that 11 years or 10 years, yeah, 11 years to remove those walls and start listening to God. It was in God's time and in his place. So one way I stay connected to God now is I praise God through song. And I just want to say, those of you who are singing today, amazing. Isn't it amazing when God gives these talents or these gifts to his people so they can lead us in worship to God and direct us to looking at God. And I don't know if you're clapping people, but I would love it if you would clap for the gifts God gave those people this morning who were sharing music. So I was like, thank you. Mm -hmm. I think it's always amazing when we can sing, we're singing to God and we get tears in our eyes or even that tug in our heart. And it's like, oh, yes. It's like God is there. It's amazing. So, but one way I stay connected to God is through, prayer, through song. This sometimes drives others in my family absolutely crazy because I tend to hum a lot. And uh, it's like I hum all the time. Or I break out in random song, singing to God. Who here does that? Anybody just starts breaking out into random songs, just singing crazy? Yeah. I do it in the mall. I'm walking through the mall, all of a sudden I'm singing out loud a praise song. It's like, oop. You know, this, people are probably thinking I'm weird, but it's okay. I am a little weird. So, or I stand, I start to dance before the Lord. Anybody do that? I'm out in my garage doing things, so cleaning my garage, whatever else. Stephanie will come out there, and she sees me dancing around, and I'm listening to music, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm 
maybe being a little strange out here, but I'm dancing before the Lord. David did it, right? We know the song, David did dance. Okay. Sorry, I'm a Southern Gospel kind of guy. But yeah. So, but I, I, I get these songs in my head and I'll start to dance. My neighbors actually tell me it looks like I dance with my lawnmower. <laughs> and uh, and it, what it's done, I put on my music. I listen to worship praise music. I only listen to music that edifies, that directs me to God. I don't listen to anything that's secular. Uh, and that's by choice. That's my own choice. Because I want, if music's going to pop in my head, I want it to direct me to God. And so, uh, so when I get out with my lawnmower, I put on my headphones and I start mowing the lawn. I actually tell my kids, they're not allowed to mow the lawn because that's my time of worship. And so I go mow my lawn, but I guess I kind of dance with the lawnmower when I'm turning around and doing things. And so like I said, my neighbors say that I dance with my lawnmower. But third, we need to be obedient. When the Lord spoke to Philip, he asked something that just didn't seem to make any sense. He asked Philip to leave a very fruitful ministry in Jerusalem to go to Gaza, a city that laid about 50 miles southwest of Jerusalem at the very end of the Palestinian world at the time. Gaza was right at the edge of the Sinai Desert, which trailed off into Egypt and was sparsely populated. It was desert territory. This seemed like such a fruitless area for ministry. And many people would have questioned God about going to such a place. But Philip didn't. Even though he had a ministry which was going gangbusters, Philip up and left Samaria, obeying God immediately. He started his journey to Gaza, and while he traveled, he met a eunuch from Ethiopia. When Philip heard the Lord tell him to go to Gaza, he probably thought that God was going to use him there in the ministry, somewhere in Gaza. But on the contrary, God didn't mean that the ministry was in Gaza, but it was on the way to Gaza. Our scripture today provides us with some very important scriptural or spiritual truths in ministry. Sometimes we become so focused on our destination that we may miss opportunities to share the love of Christ along the way. We need to view every encounter with individuals throughout the day as circumstances that God has arranged and opportunities to share with people about Jesus. I want us to notice three things here. First, God doesn't tell Philip why he wants him to go south to Gaza, into the desert. God just tells him to do it. Second, Philip doesn't question God. The phrase towards the south can also be translated at noon. So God told Philip to go travel during the noontime hour. This makes God's command even more unusual for Philip. For this was a road going through the desert from from Jerusalem through Hebron and unto Gaza. The area is still a desert even today. Now, no one in their right mind would go on the desert road at noon. Right? It's the hottest part of the day. So thus, the deadliest time to journey. But Philip doesn't question God. Doesn't question his timing or the direction God sent him in. He simply obeyed. Philip was bold and stepped out in obedience. There's a lot to be said for that. 
even this morning, once again, this morning I heard some conversations there about, you know, there's, there's things in Scripture that we just don't understand. That's where faith comes in. Right? It's about faith. Third, God only gives one step or two at a time. Most of the time we won't get all the steps. Just one. And that's hard for us. Have you ever used, some of you guys who are older may have used CAA drip ticks. I've used them. Anybody else here ever used those before where you print off all these sheets and kind of give you all the directions? We have cell phones today that do it all for us. But there was a time where we had to print these things out and take them with us. So I was kind of looking for some hands. Anybody? I don't want to feel like the oldest guy here. Anybody ever use trip ticks? Or you just never go anywhere? <laughs> it's like, okay. It's a couple hands. Good. Okay. But what you do is you, you print this out page by page, and it showed every mile, every hotel you were going to stay at, and every site you would see. You could print it all off. I had a friend once tell me that even though everyone in the car knew every detail of the trip, his kids still sat in the back and asked him how long it was going to be to the next stop. <laughs> you see, we want to know every step of the journey. But that's not living by faith, is it? If God told us what it, oh, every step, would, be, would we be walking in faith? No. We need to just step out and do it and trusting that the next step will come. That's what Philip was doing. He was walking south on a desert road in the heat of the day, just waiting for God's next step. God was about to show Philip what he was there for when he came upon a chariot. Now a person of Philip's, this is another thing to remember, as you think about this story, a person of Philip's social standing should not approach a chariot of a high-ranking official. You ever thought about that when you read that? You know, not too long ago, we just had the Pope. You know, the Pope was here, and if you saw the convoy that was with him, imagine running out to the Pope's car and start knocking on his window or trying to get, listen. Wouldn't happen, right? You know, the Pope was walking there, and you run over to give him a hug even. It wouldn't happen. The guards and stuff would be stopping you. They'd be taking you down. All these things would go on, right? So think of this now. Philip, walking through the desert, sees this chariot of a high-ranking official, and he runs up to this chariot. It's like, you know, they could have taken him down. The Philip unit, so the Ethiopian eunuch was a minister of finance for Ethiopia, which encompassed most of Central Africa at the time and was very wealthy and very powerful. So approaching his chariot could get him killed. Philip didn't let that stop him. Philip was bold and filled with the Spirit, and this is what God wanted him to do. So Philip didn't hesitate. He runs to overtake the chariot. Fourth, make a connection. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Making a connection means showing interest in others. Ask some good questions. What is it that you're reading? We can still ask that question today. How are you? And don't leave it with this fine. Ask more questions. Can I help you? Take time for others. A question I've started asking more couples is, 
how are you doing as a couple? A little harder to answer that question than just, how are you doing? And people like to say, oh, fine. But how are you doing as a couple opens up more conversation. The passage that the eunuch was reading provided a perfect opportunity for Philip to connect with him as he came alongside the eunuch and explained the scriptures to him. Likewise, we need to make connections with people God places in our path. It may not be them reading the scriptures. It'd be great if it was. But it may not be. It may be a similarity of personality or a sense of humor. It might be at your job or a hobby that you have in common. Maybe a common interest, a cause, or a number of things. Stephanie and I are scuba divers. Anybody scuba divers in here? Nobody? Oh, if you ever want to talk, we'd love to share scuba diving with you. But uh, it's a great place to open up conversation with other people who scuba dive, right? It's a common hobby. Now, it's hard to find places to scuba dive around here, I admit. Um, and if you do, most of the time you can't see anything anyways. But the point is to find a touch point of commonality and connection with that person and begin to develop a relationship with them. God will place people in our lives on the road of our journey so that we can get to know them and share life with them. We have to win most people's attention with our kindness and love before we can present Christ to them. People don't, people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. I repeat that. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. Dale Carnegie. Anybody here Dale Carnegie? No? Okay. Uh, he's the author of How to Win Friends and Influence People. He wrote, you can close more business deals in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get people interested in you. The same is true in sharing the gospel. So make a connection for Jesus by being truly interested in the people God has placed in your path. And in my notes, I underline truly. It's important. Like I shared in my, my testimony, when God connected me in, again in 2000, I'd been a Christian for, at that point in time, for 11 years. It wasn't until then that I realized that I wasn't loving others. And what are we called to do as Christians? To love God with everything we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's like, I missed that. 11 years of being a Christian in Bible college, I missed that. Fifth, bring them to Jesus. Verse 35 to 38. This can take a number of forms. For Philip, that meant making a connection between Isaiah 53 and how it was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. For the Apostle Philip in John 1, it meant finding a friend and literally, literally bringing him to Jesus, right? That can be through an invitation to attend worship or an outreach event, a Bible study, a woman's retreat, youth group. And I said some things that you guys do here in the church. I hope so, right? You know, maybe a uh, uh, men's golf tournament. You guys do men's golf tournaments here? I don't know. These are just some things I've heard other churches that do. Or even serving in a food kitchen or personally bringing a Christmas hamper. Does this church do Christmas hampers for people in the community, that kind of stuff? I don't know. 
or inviting a neighbor to your church or kids' event. I had something in my head I wanted to share, and I lost it. Um, oh, I know what it was. When I first went to Valley View, we were there for about three years, and this, uh, this young lady in our church, uh, or not in our church, our youth group, she wasn't a church girl, and uh, her family lived on the reserve. The reserve is just outside of town. And we invited them over for a meal. And so they came. It took a couple weeks to get them there. But they came over for a meal. And at the end of the meal, the mother started crying and said to me, she said, you know, we've never been invited anywhere other than family. And I thought, this is something the church has to offer. Because there's a lot of people out there who don't have a family like this where we connect that aren't blood-related. And the church can offer this to those people to say, hey, why don't you come, to, come over to our house for supper? Just a meal can change a life. The girl, the girl and her mom started coming to church. And it was just amazing. Just that one meal made such a difference to this girl and her mom. Family Life does a number of events throughout the year, like our parenting conference. We actually offer an online parenting conference in April. We have weekend getaways as a great place to invest in your marriage and invite a friend. It's a great place also to invest in your relationship with the Lord. Or you can bring marriage ministry right to your home with our live marriage workshop together, which we're doing here this Saturday, the Together for Good. Now, some people are thinking, Together for Good, what does that mean? You know what? It means that marriage is about forever. It's about being together for good. And there's lots of meanings to that, which we're going to talk about on, on Saturday, of what does it mean to be together for good. And uh, so if you haven't signed up for Saturday, we hope you will sign up and come on and join us, because it'll be a fun, a fun day, and a, a really beneficial day of having you and your spouse talking and communicating. I had one gentleman one time say, I don't want to go to marriage events because I'm scared they're going to make me talk to other couples. And uh, I told him, I said, you know what? I said, these events are about you and your spouse. They're not about you talking with this person and this person and this person. It's about you and your spouse and building together. So don't let that stop you thinking, oh, they're going to make me stand up in front of everybody and share what's happening in our marriage. It's not going to happen. Okay? We're going to share a lot about what happens in our marriage, but we're not going to ask you guys to speak about what's happening in your marriage. Okay? We're going to get you talking about it with each other. And then there's another thing here that I really love is our marriage mentoring. And I think that's the next one, right? Together for good and marriage mentoring. Marriage mentoring is one of the reasons why I quit my job as a pastor. Even though I was a pastor, I loved the ministry as a pastor. Regular paychecks was nice, those kind of things. Uh, and saying, going, Lord, I'm going to step out in faith. And we're going to go into ministry and we have to raise our own support. This is why. Marriage mentoring. Because you know what? A pastor can only do so much. But if we train others to mentor other couples, that can go on for basically an infinity across our country. Our thought was, is if we're going to change our country, it's going to be through marriage mentoring. Because you know what? If you can share your life with another... The Bible tells us, basically in a paraphrase here, older men are supposed to do what? Mentor younger men, right? And older women are supposed to do what? Mentor younger women. So those who have been married longer should be doing what? Mentoring younger couples, right? 
those who haven't been married that long. It just, it makes sense. It's like, oh, wow, why are we doing this more, right? And so when I saw this in Family Life and the tools they had, it was like, this is amazing tools and makes it so simple. And it's all question-based. It's just amazing. Uh, and so, like I said, we're, we're mentoring 10 couples right now. And it's just been an amazing time for us as mentors and for the mentees. It's just been a beautiful way of building relationship. We talked about relationship here so far, right, and things. It's a beautiful way of building a relationship between couples and building their relationship and building our relationship between the couple and Jesus. It's a safe place. You can be a marriage mentor and step out and build into another marriage. You, who could you invite? So think about this Saturday. Who could you invite to the marriage conference? Think, just think about it. You don't have to crawl out and cry, yell it out. Or think about right now, who could you invite to your house that you know, I'm sure some of you guys know at least somebody who's not Christian, that you can invite into your home for a meal? Who could you invite? Build a relationship. Who could you stop? This is a farming community. Uh, I love farming communities because I'm this guy that gets edgy. I, I have to move my hands. I have to do things. As you see me pacing all over the place, right? Okay, and for, for me, I love going to farms and helping out, whether it's singing a roof or driving a, driving a combine or the, whatever. Whatever I can do to help because I like to get out and do things. Who could you help? Right? Up in Valley View, we had, a, we had one farmer that was, yeah, he had, a, he had a stroke and was behind on his field. Well, he came home from the hospital, and there was 10 combines doing his field for him. People, people from the church that got all the combines together and went just doing, did it for him. We had, a, we had a young man who died in his 30s. He was a farmer as well. Same thing. All these combines showed up to his, to his farm and helping his wife combine the fields. It's like, what a way to show the love of Jesus. So what are the things you got? You have a youth group here in church? When do you meet? Wednesday? Okay. Who goes to it? Anybody here go to your youth group? Start thinking about, who could I invite? Right? Because I'm pretty sure there's somebody you can invite. Okay. Who could you invite that needs to hear about Jesus? What are some things your church is doing in the next couple of months? Can you guys think of some things your church is doing in the next couple of months? Other than this Saturday? Anything else your church is doing other than this Saturday, the next couple of months, that you can invite someone to church? Better say church service. You know, it's like hopefully you're doing that. Right? You guys hear all that? A hymn sing coming up? You can invite me to the hymn sing. I love music. Um, although I know Jesus already, so if I think of somebody that doesn't know Jesus, or somebody that you can encourage and build up in their faith. Right? And then the other said the Christmas banquet. Yeah. So think about people. You got some little bit of time. When's your Christmas banquet? Haven't nailed down a date, but okay. a couple weeks in December. Okay. So start thinking about who you can invite to your Christmas banquet. It can change a life. So who can you invite that needs to hear about Jesus? If all we do is make a connection with people and never connect them to Jesus and his church then we failed our mission as disciples, right? It's good to build relationship. But we also need to connect them to Jesus, not just to us. Tony Campolo tells of a time he was walking down Chestnut Street in Philadelphia. 
There was a homeless man covered with soot from head to toe. So you've got to imagine this. I'm going to give you some good pictures here. He had a huge beard. He said, I'll never forget the beard. He says, it was a gigantic beard with rotted food stuck in it. He had a cup of McDonald's coffee and mumbled as he walked along the street. He spotted me and said, hey, mister, you want some of my coffee? Now you can just picture this, right? The beard and food all stuck through it. And he's offering his coffee. This is what Tony said. He said, I knew I should take some of it to be nice. And I did. How many of us would have done that? I don't know. And he said, I gave it back to him and said, you're being pretty generous giving away your coffee this morning. What's gotten into you that you're giving away your coffee all of a sudden? The man said, well, the coffee was especially delicious this morning, and I figured if God gives you something good, you ought to share it with people. There's more to this story, but the point is made. If God gives you something good, you ought to share it with people. Put up your hand if you think God has given you something good. Okay, if you don't have your hand up, meet with one of those people that have your hand up. So, so they can share with you the goodness that God's given you. Because our salvation that we have in God is the greatest good we could ever get, right? I just did a funeral a few weeks ago, and uh, it was such a blessing to do this funeral because the man knew Jesus. And uh, to, to do a funeral for somebody who knows Jesus is a blessing. To tell you the truth, I was pastoring for almost 20 years. This is the first funeral I've ever had to do, and I'm no longer a pastor, right? And so, uh, yeah, I've always gone out of it. But this time, it was when I was asked, I was like, yes, I will do that. It was actually a friend of mine, so a little bit was difficult, but it was a huge blessing just to know his relationship with Christ. So I'm going to close here. But I'd like each of us to think about the people around us that we can influence for Christ. We plant the seeds, right? So that, so that in a few years, you can look back and you can remember you were the person who influenced them for Christ. Now, don't do it because you want the recognition of influencing for Christ. Do it because we're commanded to go and make disciples. Okay? And we're commanded this because we love God and we love our neighbors as ourselves, right? I have a song that's meant so much to me in my life. And I'd like to share it with you guys here today. So it's in the next video that we're going to share. And as I listen to this song, I think of men. I'm going to name off some names. You may not know them. But men like Walter Sayer, Dave Bushert, Henry Finster, and more. These are godly men in my life who are with the Lord today. Men who valued connecting and changed my life. So let's listen to this song. I dreamed my life was done And I stood before God's Son It was time to see what my reward would be With love He reviewed my life Count what was done for Christ 
For that was what would last eternally See, I'd done my best to share That Jesus really cares And He would save if they But seldom did harvest come So few did I see one Until the Lord said Turn around and see Then he showed me the faces of Oh 